Well, I have preached in some strange settings over the years. I've preached in the Australian outback. I've preached in New York City. I've preached on a western dude ranch. I've preached in an amusement park. I've preached in a tree house on a deserted island. I've preached in a spy agency. I've preached in the outer reaches of space. I've preached in the heart of the jungle. I've even preached in the depths of the sea. I've preached next to a kangaroo, next to a cactus, and next to an octopus. And if you know anything about me at all, you know this is not my jam. I do not have an inner child. I tend towards seriousness. I have a really hard time with silliness. I am a grumpy old man in a middle-aged body. So, that leads me to the question of why I'm standing here next to elephants and giraffes. Why do I let them put me in front of these ridiculous backdrops year after year, juxtaposed against spaceships and, and dolphins and roller coasters? Well, I asked myself that question this week, and I found that there is really only one answer, and that answer is that it's because I love kids. And this is... This is vacation Bible school week, and I want kids to have a great time, even if that means preaching next to styrofoam cutouts of wild animals. It's because, in spite of all of this extraneous silliness that surrounds VBS, all of the water balloons and the action songs and the glue sticks and the cutesy snacks, I believe in the central purpose of vacation Bible school. That purpose which is to help kids come to know Jesus Christ. That's the aim of Vacation Bible School. That's what this week is all about. That's what this is all about. It's about faith. It doesn't matter if we're in the outback or if we're in outer space. It doesn't matter if we're in the jungle or we're in the gymnasium Every year, we attempt at VBS to bring kids face-to-face with Jesus Christ and invite them to become his lifelong disciples, to trust in him with their whole hearts and to follow him with their whole lives. The aim of VBS is faith. As we've already seen, this year's VBS theme is in the wild. This week, we're placing ourselves in the position of wildlife photographers. We're setting out into what is for some of us the uncharted territory of the Bible, only we're not looking for wild animals, we're looking for Jesus. Over the course of these five VBS sessions, we've already had session one, session two will continue this evening, we're going to find Jesus in a variety of settings. We're going to seek to capture five biblical images of Jesus in his native habitat, so to speak. We've already seen this morning Jesus as a 12-year-old boy sitting in the temple soaking up the teaching about his father, amazing and astonishing the, the religious teachers and the rabbis of the day with his depth of knowledge and with his answers, demonstrating that he has an understanding of, even at the age of 12, that he is not of this world, that he has been sent for a divine purpose. He says, did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? 
Tonight we're going to find Jesus at the Jordan River being baptized by John. And we're going to see the Father testify to his identity as the Son of God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We'll watch as the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove and remains. We'll encounter Jesus walking upon the Sea of Galilee, demonstrating to the disciples his sovereignty over all of nature. We'll see Jesus at the garden tomb, risen in glory three days after being crucified. And we'll find Jesus on the road to Emmaus, revealing himself to two of his disciples as the subject and the aim of all of the scriptures and as the object of all saving faith. So to play on this photography metaphor just a little bit more, our aim this week is to help our kids and our adults to capture in their mind images, snapshots of Jesus, in order that in the dark room of your hearts you may develop a clear, crisp portrait of a divine, crucified, and risen Savior in whom you can trust and to whom you can give your life. That is the aim of Vacation Bible School, faith in Jesus. And the theme verse for this week comes from John chapter 20, verses, or verse 31, where the Apostle John tells us the reason why he wrote his gospel. He says, now Jesus did, beginning in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may believe. Faith is the goal. So this morning, I want to talk about faith. And I want to focus upon this verse and draw out from it three elements of this faith which we are praying will be born in your hearts this week. We're going to look at faith's source, We're going to look at faith's object, and we're going to look at faith's result. Let's look first at the source of faith, which is the Scriptures. The Christian faith is rooted in both historical events and revealed truths. In other words, to be a Christian is to believe that God has acted in history for the redemption of sinners supremely in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to believe that these events which we read about in this book actually happen, that they're not some mythological account intended to teach moral truths, that they are actual depictions of actual events that actually happened and actually have meaning for us today. But these events admittedly, happened a long time in the past, some 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. And so it raises the question, and it's a fair question, how is a man living in the 21st century supposed to know what transpired in the first century? I wasn't there, and I don't know anybody who was there. Well, I'm dependent upon the testimony of people who were there who saw what happened, who heard what was said, who experienced these events, and then who wrote them down in order that later generations might also know what happened. But I don't need to know just 
that these events happened. I need something more. I need to know what these events mean. How am I to know that the events depicted in this book differ from other historical events depicted in other books? For instance, I believe that Julius Caesar died in March of 44 BC, and I believe that just as surely as I believe that Jesus Christ died in April of 30 AD. I believe both of those are historical accounts, historical events. But we don't have vacation Bible school in order to learn about Julius Caesar. We don't sing songs about Julius Caesar. We don't pray to Caesar. So how do I know that Jesus and the things that he said and the things that he did are singularly special? How do I know that Jesus' death had redemptive significance for me in a way that Caesar's death does not? Well, this points to the second thing that the Bible provides for me. It not only describes historical events, it also provides revealed truths. I need revelation. I need God to tell me what these special redemptive events mean. I need God to tell me what the death of Jesus accomplished. I need God to reveal how my sins can be forgiven through the crucifixion of a Galilean Jew who lived and died nearly two millennia in the past. I need God to interpret for me the meaning of his redemptive acts in order that I may trust in them in a way that transcends merely believing that they happened. Saving faith is not merely believing that Jesus died and rose again. It's trusting that Jesus' death and resurrection mean something for me. They accomplish something for me. In other words, I trust in the death of Christ on the cross to save me from my sin. I merely believe that Julius Caesar died on the floor of the Roman Senate. But how does God reveal these truths to me? Does he speak directly to me in an audible voice that I can hear to tell me what he has done and why he's done it? No. In his wisdom, God inspired certain men called prophets and apostles to interpret these events according to the wisdom given them by the Holy Spirit. What I'm talking about is Scripture. The Bible contains the record of God's redemptive acts in history as well as the revelation of what those acts mean in order that we may trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and for eternal life. That's why this book is so important. That's why this book is not like other books. You cannot have faith apart from this book. You cannot believe in a saving way apart from Scripture. The Bible is the source of faith. This is the point that John is making in this theme verse of Vacation Bible School. He's informing the reader of his gospel. This morning that would be us why he's written this book. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But John tells us more than this. He also gives us three characteristics 
of what he has written. Three characteristics which are shared not only by John's gospel, but by all of Scripture. First, John says that the contents of Scripture, what he and the other apostles and prophets have written, the contents of Scripture are intentional. Look again at verse 30. John affirms the fact that Jesus performed many signs. Okay, signs is a special word that John uses to describe miracles with a message. They're miracles that convey some saving truth about Jesus. Jesus performed lots of them, John says. Many which John chose not to include in his book. John makes the same claim at the end of the next chapter. If you just turn over one page to John 21, 25, he says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So, so Jesus said a lot and Jesus did a lot, including the performing of a lot of miracles which didn't make the cut. But these were written that you may believe. John's like the editor of a major newspaper, and there's lots of stories that are sitting on his desk, and he's choosing those stories which are best designed to induce faith in those who read them. They're best designed to reveal certain truths about Jesus that he wants us to know, that he wants us to believe, that he wants us to trust in order that we may be saved. John chose these stories. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the contents of Scripture are intentional. That These stories just didn't get chosen haphazardly as the, you know, the, the reminiscences, of, reminiscences of an old man's memory. They're intentionally selected to bring about your faith. Second, the contents of Scripture are inspired. That is, John's not writing of his own initiative and his own wisdom according to his own purposes. He's writing under the initiative, wisdom, and power of another. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus spoke about this fact that his apostles would soon be speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let me just, I'm just going to stay in the Gospel of John this morning, and let me just read you a few verses. They'll be up on the screen. Okay, this is the night of Jesus' betrayal. This is the upper room when Jesus is speaking for the last time to his disciples before he's crucified. John 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, In times to come, when you're sitting around remembering what I said and what I did, you're not going to be relying upon the accuracy of your own memory. The Holy Spirit is going to be teaching you and bringing up into your remembrance what happened as it happened, the way it happened. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Right. So when Jesus ascends and goes to the Father, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to bear witness. And the connection there shows that the way that the Spirit's going to bear witness is through the testimony of the eyewitnesses as they bear witness. In other words, their witness is not 
not merely their own, it's the witness of the Holy Spirit, which ensures its accuracy. John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, the apostles are not just going to write about what they saw and what they heard. The Spirit's going to teach them new things. And we have the record of those new things which the Spirit taught them in the rest of the New Testament. This book which I hold in my hands is the fruit of that promise. The Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. He brought to their remembrance all that had happened, all that they had seen Jesus do, all that they had heard Jesus say, as well as things that they had not yet seen or heard. In short, the apostles, Jesus says, will write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Which means, thirdly, that what the apostles write will be infallible. That is, it's going to be true, and it's going to be trustworthy, it's going to be accurate, it's going to be reliable. Not only do we have reason to believe what the scriptures say because they're the record of eyewitnesses who had been with Jesus, who heard him speak and saw him act, and not only do we have reason to believe the scriptures because There were lots of eyewitnesses, and lots of them wrote about these events, and their accounts all agree. They confirm one another's testimony. But we also have reason to believe the Scriptures because Jesus promised that his disciples would speak and write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who would guard them from error. And Jesus' own promise was then confirmed when he rose again from the dead. So the source of our faith is the Scripture. These were written that you may believe. That's why this week is vacation Bible school. That's why the main thing we're about this week is not just the crafts, although that's fun, and it's not just the games, although that's fun, and it's not just the snacks, although they're fun. The center of vacation Bible school is to teach both kids and adults these things, these intentional, inspired, infallible things in order that you may believe. Second element of faith which John identifies is its object, namely Jesus. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. Now John highlights there two things you need to know about Jesus, and he wrote his gospel in order that you would be convinced of those two things. Number one, that Jesus is the Christ. Number two, that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's look at the first one first. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Well, John wrote his gospel in order that those who read it, this morning that's us, would believe that Jesus is the Christ. When I was a kid, I thought that Christ was like Jesus' last name, right? My name was Tim Hopped, and Jesus' name was Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. I was probably 25 when I learned that. 
Jesus' last name would have been something like Bar-Joseph, Jesus Bar-Joseph. That's the way they identified people. They called them by their first name, and then Bar-Son-Of, and then they called them by the name of their father. That's how Jesus Bar-Joseph, that would have been how he would have been known around Galilee. So Christ is not a name. Christ is a title. It comes from the Greek word Christos, which itself comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach. And you can probably hear in the word Mashiach, Messiah. That's what John's getting at here. He wants us to read his gospel and come to the realization that Jesus is the Messiah of God. Now, who's that? Who's this Messiah that we speak of? Well, the word Messiah means anointed one. And that gives us a hint as to what this Messiah was and who he was to be. In the Old Testament, there were three offices in Israel that were anointed publicly with oil, and and that was the, the sign, the visible confirmation that God was calling that particular person to that particular office. The the uh king of Israel would be anointed, the high priest of Israel would be anointed, the prophets of Israel would be anointed. This anointing was an act of consecration in which a man was set aside for a special service to God in service of God to the people, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. By the time of Jesus, though, the term had come to refer to one particular anointed one. An anointed one who was coming. Anointed one who would come at the end of days and he would be the final prophet, the final priest, the final king of God's people. He would come from God to redeem his people from sin, to redeem his people from slavery, and to inaugurate a new covenant between God and his people. That's what the word Messiah meant in John's day, in Jesus' day. It was an extremely significant title, and John says, hey, I wrote my gospel that you would believe that Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee is him, the coming one, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king of God's people who came to usher in a new covenant of grace. Jesus is indeed that Messiah, And we would be convinced of that if we would just start from John 1 and read to the end of the gospel. Jesus is the prophet who brings the final word from God to his people. He's the priest who offers himself as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for the sins of his people. And he's the king who will eternally reign and rule over God's people in God's everlasting kingdom. But John goes further. He doesn't just say that Jesus is the Messiah because there were a lot in John, a lot of people in John's day, they believed that this Messiah was coming, but they weren't exactly clear as to who or what he was going to be. But John's clear, and he wants us to be clear. He wants us to be clear that this Messiah is from God. That is, he comes from God's own presence. He comes from God's own substance. He comes from God's own Trinitarian Godhead. He is God. That's why John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was 
God. And this word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Unlike all of the previous prophets and priests and kings, This time, God did not anoint a mere human being for his office. He sent the eternal Son of God to become incarnate in human flesh. And John wants you to know it. This Son of God said, I and the Father are one. He said, I glorified you, praying to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Who says things like that? The Son of God does. Jesus is not less than man, but he is more than man. He's the God-man, the Son of God in human flesh. And John recorded his words and his deeds in such a way that you would believe that. He recorded Jesus' words and deeds in such a way that you would respond to them, you would respond to this Jesus in the same way that Thomas did just a few verses earlier. Let your eyes run up the text of John 20, just about four verses, and you'll see what Thomas did when he was confronted with this Jesus who is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus appears in the upper room to Thomas. Thomas, you remember, had been the one who did not believe until he could actually see Jesus, could see the wounds in his hand and the wound in his side and know that the same one who was crucified had also been raised. Verse 27 says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Now watch this. Jesus then says to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And in the very next verse, John says, hey, that's why I wrote this gospel. So that you who have not seen Jesus would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and would be able to respond like Thomas did, and so receive the blessing that Thomas received. That you would fall on your face before this Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. That's the goal of this gospel. That we would see and trust in Jesus, who is the object of all saving faith. The third element which John identifies in this verse is faith's result. It's aim, and he identifies that as life. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What does it mean to have life? Well, again, John doesn't leave us in the dark. By the end of his gospel, if we had read from the beginning, we would know what it is to receive life through faith in Christ. It means two two things primarily. Number one, it means Salvation from judgment. That's what it means to have eternal life. For instance, Jesus says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. According to Jesus, then, believing in him as the only begotten Son of God 
The one whom God gave out of his love for the world results in not perishing, rather in living forever. Perishing, in other words, is the default state of humanity. If you do nothing with Jesus, you will perish. You will perish in your sins in the just judgment of God. Just two verses later, Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He says in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to death. To life. So believing in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, means that you'll be saved from the judgment which is coming upon you for your sins. If you don't believe in Him, you'll perish. But you can be saved from that judgment through faith in Christ. Secondly, though, life means triumph over death. John records a story. It's actually the last miracle that John records. It comes in John chapter 11, and it's when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies, Jesus goes to Bethany in order to raise him again. And, and when he comes to Bethany, he's met by Martha, who is Lazarus' sister. And, and Martha's a little bit peeved. She's a little bit angry that Jesus didn't come sooner and heal Lazarus before he died. John records that Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Does that sound familiar? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Now notice carefully what Jesus says there. He says, life is in me. Death has no power over those who come to me in order that they may live. Those who die, yet shall they live. Those who live and believe in me shall never die. Why? Jesus says, because I am the resurrection and the life. In John 5, Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus has life in himself. He alone has the ability to forgive you your sins and to save you from judgment. And he alone has the ability to raise you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he alone has the ability to call you out of the grave on the last day and to give you eternal life in his presence forever. So Jesus proved this by walking up to the tomb of Lazarus who had been dead for four days and commanding him to rise. And Lazarus did. And John says, that too was written in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So if you desire salvation from the judgment to come upon you, which is surely, which is already upon you for your sins, 
such that you will never perish in God's judgment and you will live even if you die, then you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, in order that you may live. That is possessing spiritual life now and resurrection life forever. But that life is in his name alone. So the aim of Vacation Bible School is spelled out this week. It's a great theme verse. It might be my favorite theme verse we've ever had because it tells us why we're here and we need to know why we're here. Leaders, you need to know why you're here and why you're here is expressed in this verse. You're here to present Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, in order that your students may believe in him and have life in his name. You remember that on Tuesday night. You remember that on Wednesday morning when you wake up and you are exhausted because there ain't no tired like VBS tired. Students, you need to know why we do VBS. You need to know why you're coming. And it's not just to have a lot of fun, although you will, and that's good. And it's not just to play lots of games and to make cool crafts and to eat cool food, although all of that stuff is awesome and you're going to do all of it this week. You're here to see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and to believe in him, to go to him for the forgiveness of sins and resurrection life in order that you may live in his name alone. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for Jesus. And I pray that the aim of Vacation Bible School, which is the aim of the Scriptures, would be accomplished. I pray that it would be accomplished this morning as we've presented Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. I pray that it would be accomplished tonight and Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night as we take these snapshots of Jesus, all of which are designed to show us there's something special about him. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And there is life and forgiveness of sins and salvation from judgment and triumph over death in him alone. I must go to him like Thomas did. I must fall before him and declare with Thomas, my Lord and my God. May that happen for some of you this week. May that happen for some of you this morning. Go to Jesus and proclaim to him that he's your Lord and your God, the only one in whom you trust. And you too will live.